Hello, hello and welcome to the Big Hearted Podcast. My name is Victoria Edmund and I am your host. Our aim here at the Big Hearted Podcast is to nurture a community of heart-centred educators to change the perception and delivery of early childhood education and care in Australia and ultimately around the world. We want you to be inspired by our guests and the topics we bring to you to think of new ways of being as an educator. We want you to feel a sense of belonging via this podcast so that you can engage any time of the day or night in any place that suits you. We want you to become an educator that delivers education from the heart, as we believe this is how we create great change within our world. So join us as we discover new ways to inspire each other here the Big Hearted Podcast. Oh, goodness me. Thank you so much for joining us, Christy McVee. Uh, look, I made that rhyme. Um, <laughs> it's so great to have you on the podcast for a second time. It is honestly such an important role and such an important topic that you share on and I know it's cost you a lot personally to go into this role and be this person um, in in your personal life but it's such a massive message and educators would be um, very hard-pressed to not know um, the that this is coming up within our profession more frequently and people are being found out for being predators within early childhood education and I just think it's too an important conversation to not have so thank you so much for coming uh onto the Big Hutter podcast again you're our first person to be here for two times now so thank you yeah I'm special (laughs) you are you are we've just been chatting for an hour before we recorded this. <laughs> I know, it's hopeless, isn't it? <laughs> we got all the chat, chat, chat out, so now we can get straight down to business. So we were just talking about um, some things that have happened and have come up in the last little while, but do you want to sort of give us a bit of an overview as to um, the last maybe year or two of things that have started to move within the early childhood education realm? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I think also it's it would be important to note that I think within the child sexual abuse uh, space and, and what we're seeing, there has been a huge amount of uh, uh, studies and movement in what we're seeing and how we're identifying stuff. And one of the things that I would say is it's not just early childhood right now, it's schools, it's it's anywhere that there's young people and there's been some real big changes um, that have occurred because of it. So uh, it might feel like there's a big spotlight on early childhood, but I, I would want to caveat that and say it's not just early childhood, it's anywhere that there's young children and young mm-hmm. people in any kind of capacity with adults, you know, looking after them, supervising them, teaching them, etc. So um, and and it's about time, if if I'm going to be frank, because personally for me, you know, when I became a police officer in 2010, and you know, went through becoming specialist child interviewer and becoming and becoming child abuse detective, up until probably the last three or four years, we weren't talking about this stuff. Mm. And it and and it, it you might have known about it because you might have had a friend or a family member who might have been abused, but we weren't being very open and honest and truthful in like 
in the media, in public. We weren't having these conversations in our homes or with our friends or with our co-workers. Mm. So it's a it's really about time that we started having these conversations in these spaces and it, it's for the better. Yeah, oh, 100%. 100%. Like we all know that it happens, but I think the horrificness of it, is that even a word? Um, I think how horrific it is and the long-term damage and the generational damage that comes with it, mm. it's really confronting to to talk about. But nothing will ever change if we don't change and if we don't address the way we deal with it. And that's why uh, it's it's so important. And like it's it there's no denying that it's happening. Like, I mean, we I focus on early childhood because that's where I am. Your yeah. your picture of it is so much broader than what mine is. But I mean, we we just had that guy, I don't even want to talk say his name. Um no. where he was charged with what did you say, sixteen hundred Offense. Yeah, it was something like 1,693 offences. And, I mean, that seems like outrageously large to most people. But every time he, I mean, and he was preying on young babies and children for over a decade at least. Um, and no doubt now that his name's out in the world, more victims will come forward. Mm. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, when someone has that opportunity to abuse for that long there's going to be a list and a and a and a pile of victims behind him mm. um you know and it's not it's not uncommon i mean they they before like there's some statistics and some and some studies there that say that you know before a, a child sex offender is actually first charged they would have had 10 years of offending under their belt generally like on mm. average yeah, and I mean, this is a really hard topic, and I'm sorry to anyone. And I, you know, content warning: we're talking about child sexual abuse, and and the reason why we need to talk about this is because we need to make our kids safer, and we can't hide behind, we can't hide behind that it doesn't happen to my kid or not my kid or not my family because it's every kid, every family. Um, you know, one in four Australians are a victim of child sexual abuse. And that is statistics coming out from the Australian Child Maltreatment Study that happened in April, was released in April. And they were able to say, in, you know, through that study that 28.5% of Australians have been abused and sexually. So, you know, you think, okay, every home has, you know, most homes have two children and two adults. One of those people potentially will be abused mm. um and you know the statistics are one in three girls and one in five boys will be sexually abused by the time they reach 18 so what we know is that it's not someone else's family it's every family and mm. we can't just hide behind it and interestingly when you open these conversations up in the community and with people what you'll find is there's always someone that comes forward and says mm -hmm. yeah it happened to me and yeah I don't know, you know, personally I, I work in this space, like you said, and I just have to bring it up in conversation on a on a TikTok live or a TikTok or, or an Instagram and I will have message after message after message of people who are, are disclosing their abuse. And so I guess, you know, the thing we need to realise is it's not other people. It's, our, it's the mm. people we know, the people we love, the people we care about. Well, when we're talking about the statistic of one in four, we work with four children. 
in exactly. in family daycare. So that's one of those children potentially. Exactly. Um, it's just like you, like my brain, like that is so far. I, I'm lucky. I never experienced it. Um, my children haven't experienced it that I'm aware of. Um, and I, my husband hasn't experienced it either. Um, there is a family member who I know has, but that was even before I was born, I think, or not long after I was born. So it wasn't in my sphere of, you know, awareness. So for me, it's such a foreign concept and it's so horrifying when I hear stories and I listen to the podcast Task Force Argos or, or about Task Force Argos and the podcast was called The Children in the Pictures and yep. it was so distressing like it was incredible to listen to how they went about finding these people and how they uncovered them and and that sort of stuff and the main offender that was the kingpin on this entire circle was worked for south australian families yeah for foster children i i can't tell you how many people i've arrested and charged that have been in positions of authority and power over children and it's because uh, they will be attracted to those positions which puts them in con in contact with children. And a couple of things, and I, I mean it might help you understand, it might make you scared, but a couple of things to understand is that not all child sex offenders are attracted to children. Mm. They, um, you know, so there's three types of sex offenders and there are the the pedophilic, so they're attracted to children, they were born that way and it's not an excuse at all to because there are um, pe people attracted to children that will never hurt a child, mm. but they're born with an attraction to a child and that's who they're attracted to. Then there's the opportunistic, they have an attraction to children and to adults or they might not even be attracted to children, but they, um, you know, that's, they just are in a space where they, they can offend against a child for whatever reason, whatever, you know, per pervasion they've got. And then there's the situational. These are the people who something happens in their life, the, world, the wheels fall off their life and they offend. Sorry, so, sorry, I had to pause it because my internet dropped. So, yeah, there's three types of sex, child sex offenders and a lot of people don't realise this. They just think people are attracted to children, right? Mm -hmm. But it's actually not the case. And, and through my experience as a detective and investigating these, um, I was able to identify that, you know, there's ped pedophilic or, the, or persistent. So they're born with an attraction to children and they don't choose that attraction. It is what it is. Um, and I will caveat that with is some people who are attracted to children never abuse children. They know that it's wrong. They know that they don't do it. They're not, it's not something that they're forced to do. They choose to do it. And then mm -hmm. secondly, um, there's opportunistic offenders, which, uh, you know, they might be, that they have an attraction to um, adults as well as children. And these are the type of offenders and I would liken them with the, the stepdad or the person who goes and dates a single mum, you know, and then they wait, they might be a stepdad for a few years and then they, their child, the child hits an age where they think it's okay to now abuse them. And mm. I'm thinking prepubescent children, you know, or pubescent children, all of a sudden that 12-year-old. And then there's the uh, situational offenders where something happens in their world. They might not be attracted to children, no attraction at all, but they something happens in their life. Their, their marriage breaks up or they lose their job and they've lost control of their life and then they go and offend 
And when and for me personally, I mean, I've spent a lot of time in this space of I, I I'm a I'm a why person. I want to know the why behind all of this. So I have spent so much time, you know, contemplating talking with sex offenders and stuff like that that I'm able to sit with that and go, okay, it, because we know that now we can do something about that mm. and um so that's what makes me um makes me share that with people is because when we know something now we can plan against it so do people that are like the pedophiles that are born that way do they admit it i've had only in my 10 years i only had one men admit his sexual prevalence like his perversion um and his attraction to children and um generally yeah they're the ones who will say i'm you know i can't help it like i'm actually attracted to children i don't know why i'm like this they're they're the ones who struggle i wouldn't say they struggle the most there is a it's funny because there is it takes a lot to to harm someone right Mm. but from they don't just wake up one morning and go i'm going to abuse a child there is a lot that happens between there and there so they have to first of all they have to admit to themselves that they've got that attraction or that they're you know the situational offender i believe is the only one who just all of a sudden snaps and does something Mm -hmm. Um, but but mind you but there's been some stuff before that there's been the thoughts there's been the daydreams and the fantasizing there might be some watching of pornography or some um child exploitation material where they've so they've normalized it in their brain that it's okay to do that Mm. then there's you know then once they've got it in their mind that it's okay to offend against a child then they've got to get a child to offend against if they haven't got one in their family Mm. so this is where that coming back to you know these people who choose jobs that are actually around children is because they need a child to offend against because they've had all of this this mm. here you know and mm. so these people who have gotten past all of those internal um you know that internal dialogue and that internal because i mean they know what's wrong we yeah. all know it's wrong yeah. no one in the world except for children who don't know right and wrong if it's not taught to them know that it's not okay to do this mm. so they have to get past that internal dialogue and in and argument you know and then they have to find a child. They have to get past the child's, in um, you know, resistance or whatever. Yeah. So that's where grooming comes in. And then, you, and if there's a parent, you have to get past the parent. Or if you're the parent, then you don't have that problem. You got to get past, you know, the other parent or whatever. Or and then colleagues. Or colleagues, yeah, colleagues. And, and so there's a lot people. going on. Mm. Yeah, it's not something that is easy and quick, but it is something that is easy and quick, if that makes yeah. sense. Like it's- yeah, no, so it's totally premeditated. It's it's planned Yeah, and they're probably in a workplace setting yeah. checking out who's who in the zoo and um, so. working out who they can get away with things from cultivating friendships where they're yep. very manipulated yep. so people would go no 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 and it's not always just men either let's no, just right. be clear with that it's not always men um so it's not always men but it's but the like we know from statistics and from studies that men are around 97% of all child sexual abuses by men but yes. it's not just men and i do want to remind people that because 
if we don't remember that there is female perpetrators out there and offenders out there, then we're missing a huge portion of victims and survivors and validating yeah. their experiences because there is uh, female perpetration. Interestingly, female offenders are much more sadistic and much more um, that they've they've got a different motivation to male offenders. So that's mm. a whole other conversation. Is that, are you looking, like, this, I didn't intend to go there, but are you looking more at, like, the the female teacher taking the pubescent boy? Yeah, and pubescent girl. Like, there's been quite a few cases of female um, offenders um, against female ch- girls, especially in uh, recently in WA there was one that was charged from 10 years ago where she uh, offended against a child. And, again, those people will empower an authority, right? If we don't question their behaviours, you know, inappropriate, appropriate, it's not appropriate to have sort of, you know, I I always use those words, appropriate, inappropriate, Mm. you know, and I explain that to young people all the time. That's not appropriate behaviour for an adult. That's not appropriate or that's inappropriate behaviour for an adult because one thing that um, they get past is, oh, I'm a teacher. It's my job to look after your kid. But unfortunately, we know that teachers and people in those, and I'm not saying everyone, yeah, there yeah. is a lot of amazing teachers, childcare work, uh, you know, early edu- early childhood educators. There's a lot of amazing people. But that, but people who want to offend against children or people who are attracted to children or people who like children are going to go into those jobs where children are. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So we, we talked about, like, grooming yeah. A little bit. What does that actually look like? What would that look like in an early childhood setting? I think because of the age of the children, it's a little bit easier, if that makes sense. Yeah. For for an offender in those situations, because they're changing nappies, clothing. You know, in an older child, it's not as easy, uh, or it's more obvious that someone's doing that, or maybe not. Um, but you know, like first of all, they've got to find a vulnerable child. So uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, children with living with a disability are the highest abused children because mm-hmm. most of them don't need hands-on support and help. Um, so if vulnerable children are also children without a support network. So it could be a child that, you know, doesn't have a, a, you know, a very safe home life or it could be a child that is very vulnerable and, and young. And in early childhood, it is, you know, they're very young and vulnerable. So, mm-hmm. um so that it that could be filling a need. So one of the ways that I see um, people with little kids, especially little children, um, you know, they give them gifts, lollies, extra attention. Um, they are extremely attentive to that one child. They they favour a special child over all the other children kind of behaviour. Mm. Um, you know, think of that. And it's sad that I even have this experience, but I had a creepy uncle that was like that. And he mm. was, you know, he had that one or two ch- little kids that he was like, I've got a lolly for you and, you know, that kind of, and so you, that child would always go to that uncle because he was always k- treating them special. Yeah. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the things like why I, I wanted to get you back on um, for anybody that may be watching the video, I am showing the um, review of the child safety um arrangements um 
under the National Quality Framework. So that's the final report, the findings and recommendations for the NQF and interrelated child safety mechanisms came out in December 2023. There's a raft, there's 16 changes in there that they go through and talk about what they've noticed. They share statistics from previous years, um, all that kind of stuff. And it's not just ch um, child sexual abuse, it's child safety as a whole. Um, and one of the things that came up in there is that uh, it will be coming into long daycare and I imagine at some point they're going to have to look at family daycare as well. Uh, it doesn't mention family daycare in, the, in, in there at this point, but I, I dare say there's going to be something that comes through with that as well, um, is that personal devices that can take photographs will no longer be allowed in centre, um, in like on the classroom. You can have it when you're in your work you lunch break and all that sort of stuff, but not allowed them on, on the premise, like in the classroom anymore. And I think that's going to be a real difficult thing to, to process in family daycare. Um, and I just wonder your thoughts on what educators could potentially do to protect themselves as well. But at, because at the end of the day, it's about protecting the children. Like that's just yeah, what I was about to say to. that. Yeah. yeah. And also like, my husband works in mining, right? And when you're on a mine site or you're in a workplace where it's high risk, you can't have your phone on you. Yeah. You so it, just because it's always been done the way it's been done um, doesn't mean that we can't, you know, it shouldn't be changed because the reason why change is happening is because it requires it. And yeah. I used to liken it when I was in the police and some of the older sergeants and, and senior connies would whinge about new rules. Yeah. And they would be like, oh, you know, we have to do this now. And, it's, you know, we're, we're being policed all the time. Funny story, police. But, <laughs> and I would say, well, if you guys weren't, if you guys, people didn't stuff up, we wouldn't need these rules. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, the majority gets, uh, you know, gets policed and, and impacted. impacted because of the minority. Yeah. But ultimately the 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 reason why we're here and the reason why we have is for the children we're here yeah. for children we've yeah. got to remember that when we're doing when these changes are coming in what yeah. is the greatest uh, what is the the greatest impact what is the greatest safety what we don't want any young person child in our care to be injured abused on our watch yeah yeah and see this is the thing that like we had an incident and I actually fired the educator um because she had a lovely setup in her backyard lovely girl like beautiful person blah 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 but had children in summer playing in a paddling pool and the children were naked and like health and safety what if one of them pooed or weed for a start. What about the like sun safe and sun smart, you know? Yeah, yeah. All, all the stuff, right? There was just so many things in it. And um, she posted pictures of that on her personal, on her private, sorry, on her private family group page. And I was like, remove them immediately. And she was like, why? And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, why do you think? Uh, remove them immediately, like immediately. And um because I was like, was yeah, she young? Yeah, young ish. Youngish. Young yeah. And I was like, mate, you have no control over who is seeing that once it leaves your stuff. Awesome. Like, exactly. Yeah. You have no control. Someone, you know, a, a 
a parent could send pictures over to England to their family because, oh, look, it's the middle of winter over there. Ah, ha, ha, look what so-and-so gets to do today. And you don't know where those photos go from there. So it's an immediate no, but she didn't understand and couldn't comprehend it. And I was like, nah, see you later. So, yeah. I've got a thought process on that and I've had this conversation with other employers of young people. Like uh, let's let's look at the history of social media and, and phones, right? I got my first iPhone in 2010. So mm-hmm. before that we had those really, really low met pixeled, pixelated yep. photos on like those little, you know, dumb phones if we call them Nokia. now. Nokia. <laughs> Nokia or LG or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the iPhone really switched it up, right? And so we're yeah. looking at 16 years ago. And any person who, and, and I've had these conversations with people in their early 20s, mid 20s, nearly 30s, they were only teenagers when that started. And so what they grew up with versus what we grew up with, that, mm. that they shared everything. We used to share everything. Some of the stuff that comes up on my Facebook, I cringe. I'm yeah. like, why was I sharing that thought? That is ridiculous. Yeah. But we used to share, we used to share, <laughs> everyone's like thinking back to like 2010 when we used to share, yeah. had really good lunch today or why do I have to go to work or all of the really weird random thoughts we used to post, right? Yeah. And then, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, but that's, if, if someone grew up in those really formative teenage years of, of learning right and wrong and what that I have young people now or mid 20 people who are struggling with the concept that it's not okay to share photos or to befriend young people or to you know all of these things because of the because of the culture of when they grew up with mobile phones and and devices and social media Mm. so as for me personally, I think as an educator, we need to come up with policies that protect young people. Mm. It seems common sense to us because we grew up in a much different age, but mm. it's not common sense to the current young people that we're dealing with. Yeah, that's a really, really good point because we do get, you know, educators, as you say, in their 30s still, Um who might be parents of their own and be parents themselves rather, but they grew up in that space where it was. I mean, you see it now with little kids, you you, you put the phone up and they pose because yep. they're being taught how to do that. And that is a grooming, not that, you know, everyone, no, teaches yeah, their kids, no. but that is a hundred percent. One of those things that people get taught to do, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, yeah, it's really interesting. And that's a really valid point. Um, around having your social media policies. I, I don't have a problem with the backs of heads and hands yeah. and things like that, but I think it's definitely something that my my team and I are going to have to talk about when it comes to social media and what's appropriate to have on there and even appropriate photos, you know, because there is, and it talks about it in this um, in this document about how families push and there's pressure on educators to provide videos and updates and this and that and the amount of pressure that is put on educators to update families as to what the children are doing in every minute of the day yeah. is is undeniable and it was really interesting to see the government um, acknowledge that. And I think, again, it comes back to this whole process of going back to what it was like back in the 80s. Like, why do we have to photo document everything? Like, we don't. My daughter was going to full-time daycare 
in 2010 when I was first in the police. So she, I don't have any photo documentation. I have the one or two things. I, I never had videos. I never had any of that stuff. It wasn't normalised back then, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I don't feel like I missed out. And I think the thing is, is that we, again, got to think about the current parents and current people that are are now parents, Mm. what they grew up with. Mm. And we need to educate people on that. Mm. So as, as, you know, my account, and there's quite a few accounts on Instagram that talk about the sharenting epidemic we have of sharing everything your child is doing and oversharing because we actually have a problem with the fact that, we now and monetizing our children. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, right? Yeah. But sharenting is a big issue. And one of the things that we're now seeing is with the introduction of artificial intelligence and um the the deep fakes, if we don't know what a deep fake is, is where you can put because the computers and the the programs are so good now, you can put a, a face of anyone on the body of anyone and Mm. it's not photoshop i'm talking video we can make them look like someone else and what we're seeing now is children's faces on other children so there is actually again on the dark web there is actually um people who are putting who are requesting for a certain specific child's face providing the image and then having it put on child exploitation material of a child who is actually being abused and oh. and it looks like that child oh. for their own personal gain. And so when we share videos and photos of our children online publicly and without the safety of knowing who that's actually going to see that, we're actually putting our children at risk. And a lot of people aren't thinking about this yet, but it's, it's something we need to consider. With how artificial intelligence and, and all of these things are going, if your child's voice is online, if it's if you're putting all of this stuff publicly, anyone could use that to then in 10 years' time when they're trying to get there to defraud them or to steal their identity or to do anything. And this is the world we're going through. This is where we're going with, with all of this, that there will be a whole new range of abuse that can happen through uh, identity theft, through, you know, um, deep fakes and and you know child exploitation material your child might ne- might never ever get abused mm. that way but there might be a video out there with their face on it that looks like your child's being abused so it's oh. it's something that we need to consider is that i have stopped other than in my private life with my private friends and family i have stopped and i stopped about 4 years ago i've stopped sharing videos or photos of my daughter mm. and it was through my through my experiences through what I'm learning that it is not safe to share your child's images online anymore that's heavy man that's that's really like that takes a lot to process because I know a lot of educators um build their businesses that way I know, you know, they they share the things that they do because that attracts new families and new clients and all that sort of stuff. So is there a safe way to do it? Like you're saying. Like you were were saying from the back of them, share what you're doing in a way. There is people who do it really well. There's uh, one of the things I would say is, first of all, stop following people who overshare their children. Mm. Because what we're doing is we're normalising the sharing of a child's life to public. 
So I, I no longer like or follow anyone who shares their children publicly. Mm. Um, I do follow people who share them with respect. Mm. So, for instance, when you when you remove the child's face or you or you know put something over the child's face or you do it from the back of the room but do you know what i think really sells people and their businesses and especially in family daycare is personalized reviews and other families telling people how great you are that mm. is going to sell you more than anything you put online mm. so you can still share what you're doing or planning hey i'm up all night getting this ready for tomorrow here's what i'm doing this is what yeah. we're doing tomorrow but sharing the reviews of the families that have been through your child, through your centre or through your family um, daycare, sharing, um, you know, how what you're planning and sharing your views on oversharing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and totally making it a, a, a selling point too that I actually protect your child's privacy. I um, am going to, I am going to keep your child safe. I'm going to keep them safe from, you know, this potential, did you know about this? This is what can happen. This is why we don't do this. Yeah, the, the whole thing of AI, like I I use AI. I taught a class on AI uh, in early childhood education. I did explicitly say that you don't use people's names. You you might use like an acronym for them or whatever or, or even just their initials or whatever, but you don't use their names. You've got to all, at all times be really mindful of the privacy, but I never, ever, ever thought because I just don't think that way about those advances in AI and the detriment. And it, it's just like it's mind-blowing and I think for a lot of people that aren't exposed to this world, it, it's just like you just don't even think about it. Like it's so innocently done that you just don't even think about it. And so I think it's really valuable uh, information that you've just shared there. So you you did a reel the other day um, and I was impressed with the reel. <laughs> I messaged you and I was like it took oh, me about one minute I was like yeah this I was like oh yeah that sounds good do, do, do. yeah <laughs> no it was, it was so good but one of the things was that you um, shared that there was a study that's just come out of Wales mm -hmm. about how children are the highest offenders yes. against other children so can you share a little bit about that sure. because I know there's a lot of our educators here that have teenage children and and it's you know it's a bit of a minefield Today's episode is brought to you by my Essential Elements course, the only course designed for family daycare educators that touches on all aspects of your business. You'll learn how to set boundaries. You'll learn how to be effective with your time and no longer work outside of your work hours. Not only that, but you have incredible connections with the most amazing other family daycare educators from all around Australia. We meet every two weeks online so that you can have a burst and an injection of inspiration and to know that you're not alone. So join me as we set to revolutionize family daycare within Australia because I really believe that family daycare is the premium choice for both educators and families and you need support to make your business run smoothly and to feel like you're not alone. So DM me the word waitlist because doors open on the 11th of March and I don't want you to miss out. 
DM waitlist. I'll send you all the information and we can go from there and create the business of your dreams. I want to just explain, first of all, it's 45% of all child sexual abuse is by another child. So just take a deep breath on that one. So, and what I would say is that we need to look at it from the point of compassion, the fact that when we're talking about children offending against children or children abusing children, they're children. So mm-hmm. a lot of people get really up in arms at the idea that another child hurt, harms another child. Mm-hmm. But what we've got to remember is children are children. They're mm-hmm. not evil and they're not, they're, not, they're not born to harm each other. Mm-hmm. They are learnt behaviours from, mm-hmm. from certain aspects. So what I would say is this, is that when I was first starting in the police in 2010, when a child harmed another child, we were, would automatically believe that the child was a victim of child sexual abuse and we would investigate it like the child was a victim and we would f- try and find where that child was being abused, uh, whether it was a family member, friend, etc. But by the time I finished in the police in 2020, we would now see uh, I was seeing children harming other children because of pornography. Now, it was it was a, like it was a 50-50 chance that they might be abused or they might be seeing pornography. And we have a massive problem with pornography in that children, uh, the average age of children seeing pornography for the first time is 8 to 10. But it, we know that's the average. So then we've got lots of children who are seeing it younger than that. Mm. So what we're, what we're seeing is that children, uh, there's two categories then, a child who's being abused in their home or in their life then goes on to harm another child or a child sees something that they don't understand or that they think I'm, I, I'm, that looks like fun, I'm going to do that or whatever goes through their mind and they harm another child. There's another third part to that and children who are, have, and it's sad that this is the case, but children who are in a family and domestic violence situation are more like are also at a higher risk of harming other children sexually. Mm. And so the other st- studies and statistics we're seeing is that children, the, the children who are most likely to be harmed are aged between three and nine. So they're the children who are being harmed by and the children who are doing the harming are more likely to be aged between 10 and 14 mm. to 16. So what we're seeing there is that our kids who are vulnerable are the three to nine. No, it doesn't mean that those are age groups won't go on to harm or and the children who are doing the harming are the pubescent aged children. Mm. And and in this age group, it's again, it's not boy versus girl or more boys than girls. We're seeing a large amount of girls harming children younger than them as well. Mm. So so what what does that mean? Like that's a lot of information. What that means is that we can't afford to not be having protective behaviours and body safety education in our in our early childhood education. We have to do it because it it protects our kids. Mm. Inappropriate and appropriate. It's not appropriate to do things like that. It's not. It's inappropriate to touch people like that. It's modelling consent in our early childhood education. It's talking to our kids. You know, someone said to me, oh, you know, we shouldn't, um, why should we have to ask our kids if we're going to, you know, change their nappy or whatever? I said, how about explaining what you're doing to them? Mm. Because that is showing them that you are giving that, you know, 
hey, I'm just going to change a nappy and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I'm going to put some cream on. I'm just going to be quick, etc. You know, explaining what we're doing because it's their body. How about mm. respecting body autonomy? Mm. You know, and and sharing what we're doing and in how long it's going to take, because we don't go to a physio, we don't go to a doctor, and they just jab us with a the needle. They're telling mm. us what they're going to do. Mm. So we need to do the same with little kids and young people. And and so body safety and protective behaviors education are must. Consent and modeling consent are must. You know, modeling or body autonomy and explaining those things using correct, uh, you know, body names: mm. vulva, vagina, bum, anus testicles etc and having like those conversations with parents and saying we use correct terminology in this in our facility because xyz because Mm. again we were talking before with press record about the fact that little young people don't have the language to explain Mm. that they're being abused a lot of the time unless it's taught to them yeah and we need to teach it to them so that they know how to tell people because when i was at when i was interviewing kids they couldn't tell me that someone had touched their penis or their bum or their vulva or the vagina or whatever. And I used to have to get them to explain what had happened and that, and it can just leads to kids not being able to tell their parents, tell their carers, their educators, and mm-hmm. that's a safety thing. So, you know, those are many, those things are very important. And mm-hmm. in, in early education, I think they're the most important because they might not be getting it at home. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like people don't want to talk about this stuff. Like it's a, it's a really uncomfortable conversation. And if you haven't had an experience of it, you haven't had an experience of it. So therefore you're probably a little bit in the dark or naive or whatever about the instances of it happening. So we mentioned protective behaviors, is there anybody that you can re- recommend we follow or books or courses that are really good for early childhood education? Yeah, I'll, I'll obviously mention mine as well, but um, I would highly recommend go, going to um, Educate to Empower's website. So um, e2epublishing.info is their website. And um, Janine Sanders, who has written the most amazing books for young children, about consent, about protective behaviours, about body safety. Um, I actually have a couple of her books on my desk, funny enough. Um, let's see. Um, for anyone who's at home, this is one. This is a book for My Body, What I Say Goes. Mm-hmm. This is just one of her books and No Means No. And, it, and in there, these are great books for educators. They're great books for anyone. And, like, Secrets Should Never Be Kept is one of her good books. Um, You know, let's talk about body boundaries, respect and consent. These are all young children books that you can read to them. Um, And the one thing I would say is that, um, you know, in these books, and she's she's an amazing author for that, and there's lots of books, and I actually... I was about to put out a blog post about books for young people, for young children, so... Awesome. I'll, I'll do that. Um, obviously, my book is written from a, a perspective of education and empowerment. Um, so my book's name is Operation Kids Safe, A Detective's mm-hmm. Guide to Child Abuse Prevention. And what it's going to do is it's just going to upskill your education around this stuff so that you're prepared for the mm-hmm. conversations you need to have with children and from with parents. So I highly recommend that one as well. Yeah, of course. I mean, it goes without saying. <laughs> and we'll put all of these 
in the links in the show notes um because yeah. i've already forgotten the e2e.publishing whatever um so <laughs> i'll get that off you um before we click yeah. off and and i'll be able to put that in the show notes um because it was something that wasn't like as prevalent even five years ago um it all changed yeah which is when i was teaching with the children um so it was definitely, I mean, we talked about, and, and I always had that whole thing of, is it okay if I change your nappy now? Um, is it okay if I pick you up? Um, are you ready to? Would you hold- like a hug? Would you like a high five? Would you like a yeah. wave? You know, like those sorts of questions. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, when we model that to children and we model, say, like one of the, one of the protective behaviour things is to be a safe adult. And what mm. does a safe adult look like? And, you know, we naturally assume that someone's safe adult is, um, you know, someone that lives in their house or but mm. some kids come from homes that there is no safe adult. Yeah. So what is a safe adult? Well, a safe adult, someone who believes you, will help you, is available. Yeah. So, you know, it's no use saying my, my grandma is a safe adult and she lives over in Queensland when I'm in WA. Yeah. How how's a little kid going to actually connect connect with them or talk to them? Yeah. Um. You know. So it's also about reminding, uh, because as as early childhood educators, you have the most impact on their early childhood on their, yeah. on their early life. You know, you have such an impact. You have such a responsibility, unfortunately, as well to yeah. to ensure that and. I think for anyone who's sitting out there going, wow, this is really big and really scary and I don't I don't know how to deal with it because it was not something I talked about with my parents and it's not something I've ever dealt with, embrace that because mm. you possibly could be the saving person in a child's life. Mm. I, you don't realise how important it is. Well, what I always try to do was make the children feel good so that the interactions with me felt nice in their body not because you know when something doesn't feel nice and like you've had we've all had the experience with the creepy old dude you know and you're like and you see little kids they're like no they're early warning signs yeah yeah so we've all experienced that and that person could be giving them lollies and trying to do all the night things but it's not making them feel good inside so always my thing was you know, can I change your nappy now? And when doing that nappy change, it was explaining what I was doing. Just going to take your pants off now. Oh, look, your sock got a bit stuck. Oh, dear, yeah. here we go. Perfect. You know, and, and having that really. Dialogue. Yeah, that wholesome interaction. So we talked about um, children experiencing porn um, yeah. bridge of six to eight. And then obviously beforehand, Um I've come across a few things on TikTok where people have been showing, um, you know, like games that kids have got onto that have been horrific. What do you think, in your professional opinion, uh, as someone that's got so much um, experience, what what's your personal opinion about children being online? First of all, I I just wanted to finish that last conversation with supervision. So if you've got young people, older people in, um, sorry, older children in in your home with your younger kids, they should be supervised at all times. I did want to think, finish Mm. with that. Supervision is paramount for. I totally agree. 
I, I, I truly, and I've had this conversation with parents and some parents get a bit upset with my, my opinion on this. I truly believe that young, so young adult, young people, like I'm talking 12 and up, shouldn't be babysitting or supervising children under the age of 12. Because, and I know a lot of parents are like, but I need to leave my kids alone with their older brother or sibling. The problem is, is that we just can't, it's not fair on those older kids and it's not fair on those younger kids. So mm. that's where I want to finish that one. Yeah, Going they're, back to- well, their, their prefrontal cortex has not developed. They don't have rationale. They don't have decision, like fully developed decision-making abilities. They're very much led by hormones because all of those are raging around and racing around. And, you know, it's it can come from a place of innocence in terms of, they don't fully understand the impacts of what they're doing. And we no one ever wants to think that their kid is ever going to do anything, but there are cases of that. Um, Lots in, of cases. Yeah, yeah. And, and the and, justification we used to have is, oh, kids just being kids. They're just, yeah, no. They're just, you know, and that's not true. No. There's lots of kids out there that don't go and harm, like sexually harms another child. Yeah. And the thing is, is that, I would I would also say to that all is that each individual child is different and yeah. some children are super, super uh, mature, super, super, um, you know, they're great, responsible, you could trust them, like you, you, they can handle anything. I was one of those kids, right? I was yeah. one of those kids that could handle 20 kids underneath me and like have them wrangled and fed and everything, right? Uh, but it's not, first of all, it wasn't fair on me to have to have look after all these kids. But second of all, you can't always expect that the, each child, individual child, has that level of, you know, responsibility and trust and supervision and whatever. I mean, it's just really important that we don't, we don't, what we had our experiences as young people, we don't put on to our kids. And, yeah. Yeah. And and look, if if your kid happened to be the child that did something, at a time in their life when when they're not responsible, they're not mature enough to be able to process what they're doing, blah, 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 that becomes a blight on their life for the rest of their life. And wouldn't it be better if we could not put them in those positions so that they can go through their life without experiencing that? Um, yeah, so that's 100%. a really valid point. And I know there's a lot of educators. I mean, my own children used to play with um, my my kinder kids, you know, and it was so lovely to see and, and be part of that. That's okay, but as long as you're in the room with them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it was never, you know, I mean, my daughter was one of those kids that could manage. She would easily be able to change nappies and blah, 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 yeah. blah, you know, but... Uh, being in a family daycare setting, no, 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 she never did. When our neighbours' kids came over and it was not when I'm working, it was completely yeah. something different, you know, and, and I would help her do that or supervise that and then as she got more confident with it, she could do it, you know, but that was not in a paid setting, not in no. a work scenario and completely totally different. And and also I would add to that, no closed bedroom doors or doors, no yeah. no children in rooms with no one like without being able to see them. Like yeah. just think about, yes, you're a family childcare and family daycare and, and you've got these little people under your wings, but think about it from the perspective, this is your livelihood, this is your family, mm-hmm. 
protect mm. it at all cost. Mm. So yep. think about what are some of the vulnerabilities, you know, children to, and it could, and it might not even be your two children or might not be your child. It could be two children in your centre. Mm. So, you know, like the thing is, is that don't let them be in positions where they can be harmed or, you know, things can happen. Yep. Have them in open areas, have them supervised, you yep. know, one at a time in the toilet. Those yep. sorts of things, you know, in the in the setting that, that is a family child family daycare, yep. um, you know, not leaving them with anyone but you, because really the parents who've hired, like who've tr- entrusted you with their children, they're not asking you to get your kid or your young person into help. They're no. asking you to do it. Yes, exactly. So, so just protect your business like it's the most important thing because it is. Yeah, well, that's that's often one of the things when we had when we have visitors, the the rule when there's a visitor in the premises, if the educator needs to go to the toilet, that visitor needs to step outside. That's a really good rule. Or the children go with the educator, you know, this, that's what used to happen. It's just so, it's just so easy for people to abuse little kids. Yeah. Um, And they're the most abused. So let's move on to that next question about online and and stuff. Yes. Look, (laughs) I I have made old mistakes in my parenting. My daughter's now 16 and she had an iPad at three because it was all fandangled and I lived in the Pilbara and I was like thousands of kilometres and we used to drive everywhere and it was so long. I did everything wrong. And I, if I had my time over again, she would never have got a device at that age. Yeah. Mind you, because of my job, I was very... I still stuffed up. I still she still saw things I wish she'd never seen. She yeah. still I still you know she she, but she wasn't allowed social media. There was gaming. She wasn't allowed to game in multiple player gaming or online gaming mm-hmm. at all until she was way past thirteen. Yeah. So I think the thing is is that um, in a center where your children are under five, it would I would be really specific about the fact that what they're on is educational only and it has no contact like roblox is really big and i know little kids on roblox like five-year-olds four-year-olds roblox is a multiplayer game i wouldn't be letting my kid play that game but i know other parents who let their kids play that game they the game and what happens outside of your center is different to what happens inside your center if i was an educator i'd be maybe even having your own iPad that they can share and, and use um, and it only loaded with certain things. But I don't know. Like for me, I really think it's it's what happens if if you don't haven't got the, that device locked down and they click on a pop-up because kids are like little geniuses and Einstein's mm-hmm. on devices today. Yep. Yep. Um, they click on a pop-up and it goes to porn. Yeah. You know, YouTube is full of porn because people slide it in between videos and you know instant replay and you know there's abc kids there's uh, like i'd rather today you know we used to get told off for watching too much tv i'd rather turn on a tv show yeah right yeah because it's it's monitored it's protected it's not you're not going to get some yeah you're not going to get i'd rather turn on abc kids and play bluey yeah then, yeah. then actually give my child a device. In fact, I encourage. I I'm now telling my 16 year old get off gaming and watch TV. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then my parents were like, "You're gonna get square eyes." Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. 
I, I, I was talking about it on a podcast the other day and I, I remember as a kid being like, I don't know, three or something. I don't even, I must have been a bit older than that. I just have a clear memory of running down the hallway into the um, playroom, jumping over the couch and monkey magic because monkey magic was on, you know, that was, and, and that was what we got to watch. And that's all about morals and, but even then some of that, like I watched it back when I was 18 and I was like, oh, I see where I got a lot of my belief systems from. A lot of this resonates with this. Um, but some of what Pigsy used to do was a little bit questionable. Um, yeah, 100% and, and, when you go back and watch those shows. Oh, I watched <laughs> Dead Fred at a um, like a vacation care thing, thought it was a great movie when I was a kid. It probably went over your head. It, yeah, but that's yeah. the stuff that gets normalised. I got it for my kids because I saw it as a DVD. That's how old I am. saw it as a DVD for my kids when they were little and I was like, oh, Drop Dead Fred, this is a great kids movie. Yeah, started watching it, went, what the heck? No way. I turned that off and was like, what on earth? Like I watched I'll, that in vacation care. I'll give you a, a resource for educators. It's called commonsensemedia.org. It's a website. And on that website, it gives you reviews from both parents and kids and from the uh, reviewers about every, like not everything, games, um, videos, movies, um, shows. So mm. there's reviews from both parents and children um, and you know, it reviews, say, for instance, a new movie comes comes out and you're like, oh, it says it's M, but um, I'm not all. It says it's PG. And then you go in there and you go and you can read parents who've actually sent the video or the reviewers have actually reviewed it and said, it's PG, it has this scene in it that might be blah, blah, blah. So commonsensemedia.org is a really good resource for educators. If I was running my own family daycare, I would be saying no devices. Yeah. Uh, I would be saying no devices. Yeah, we have because, a policy. Yeah, because, and again, like it's okay to watch a movie. It's okay to watch Bluey. Um, I watch Bluey. Uh, but it's, and I don't even have little kids yet. I can't wait to have grandkids so I can watch Bluey with them. But, um, you know, like there's some really good little shows. There's some really good educational shows. Yeah. But we don't need a device. Like yeah. there's too many devices in the world. How about yeah. we like let's let's keep screen free until they are outside of our control and they're back at school. Yes, that that's exactly what I say too. And some educators won't come with our service because they're like, well, uh, you know, we watch play school, and I'm like, why? Watch it on the TV. Put a TV in your playroom. Yeah, but I don't even. I just think you know when you've got four children there and you're yeah. paid, you're not mm. paid to sit them in front of a TV for half an hour. Um, and I just think we're missing so much human interaction as it is because guaranteed those children are getting in the car and there's a device going in front of their faces. You know, yeah, it's way too it's way too normalized. And we know that um yep. that I, I shared on my Instagram a couple of months ago of a dad who and he's a really it's actually a really good TikToker. Um he I'm surprised he doesn't have as many viewers, but um I can't think of his name now swole dad s-w-o-l dad anyway and he he shares um movies of him with his two little he's got two toddlers right one like maybe a year and a half each between them and he's 
playing with them whilst playing, like looking at his phone, and he's and then he plays with them without the phone. And they're side by side videos of them doing the exact same things and what the child does. And it's like really, it's really humbling, or it's really like in your face oh, yeah. when you see a child who a dad who's engaged and a dad who's not engaged and a dad who's present and a dad who's not present. And yeah. we know, we know, uh, I mean, this isn't my area of expertise, but we know that children who are, um, are ch- there's, um, what's the name, face syndrome? Oh, my God, I can't think of the word. So there's a new syndrome that's been coined is um and i've got my phone up in front of my face so when we look at our phone and we're just looking at it we've got straight face like we've got no emotion on our face yeah and what what we're seeing is children don't know how to read body language because our our parents are they're in front of a phone and device and children from birth aren't able to see any emotions in their parents and it's called it's something face syndrome and then we also know that children that there's some sort of children who have less interaction online and their parents are more engaged and talking to them, they're going to the kids who don't have that are going to school with less than a hundred words. Yep. I'm talking kindy. Yep. Hundred to yep. two hundred words. They're unable to speak. Yep. So I know and I'm not shaming any parents, I'm not shaming any educators, but we are going to this is like the FASD. Faith, um, what's it called? Um, infant alcohol syndrome. Oh, this is yeah, the FASD yeah. of our, I can't think, fatal alcohol infant syndrome or whatever it's called. Yeah, this yeah. is, um, this is going to be the FASD or kids who are born with drug addiction. Yeah. This is, this is going to, because it is, it's, yeah. it's as bad as it is. Because yeah. if we don't, as parents, you don't give birth. And here's another thing. Uh, and this is something I say in, in all of my presentations now. We don't give birth to these beautiful little babies and look down at them. And remember that day when you held your baby for the first time yeah. and how, like, you looked at it in awe of you created that, right? You yeah. created that baby. And yeah. you and you wanted to protect them with everything you had and, and you wanted them to be safe and you wanted them to be strong and you want and all of those thoughts, hopes and prayers that you had for that little baby. Yeah. We forget that when they get older. We forget that as they get bigger, as they yeah. as luck. We forget about into, it. They turn into nasty pasties. <laughs> right, yeah. But but I just want people to remember, we didn't give birth to that kid and go, and sorry for the swearing, I'm going to fuck you up by not looking after you properly. I'm not going yeah. to, uh, by, by not protecting you. Yeah. But ultimately, and then this is hard, I'm talking hard now, and it, we it's our job to protect yeah. that kid. And I'm hand on heart going to say I'm not the fucking perfect parent ever. Me either. I have never been a perfect parent, and, man, do, do I get reminded of that. But at the same time, I do my best and yeah. that's all we can do. And yeah. But when we're in this situation with little kids, they need us to be there. 100%. And this is what I talk about. Like when, you, when you're looking at a screen too, the way the brain processes images, it's in pixelation. So your brain is processing thousands of pixels to create one image. Not only that, but there's music behind it, there's lighting there's stage, like things are staged, there's different camera angles, like it's this full-on production and yet when your children get to school or come to kindy, there's one person 
Yeah. There's not the lighting. There's not They're the gonna be bored. Music. Yeah. A hundred percent. They don't know how to be they don't know how to be bored. They don't know how to be not entertained. They don't they know don't, how to yeah. They don't know how to play. They don't know how to play. They don't know how to interact. They don't know how to use their imagination. So therefore they become these five second kids. They do something for I'm bored. There's nothing to do. And then they yeah. follow you around. They drive you insane. And it's all because they don't know how to play. And it's because these devices are stuck in front of them. And that's really surprising. And I'm not surprised actually by this whole lack of emotional engagement yeah. on faces like my kids I've got the eyebrows of all eyebrows and my face does not stop moving you know so they know with the look yeah. I could just look at my children and give them an entire sentence dressing down <laughs> just yeah. from a look where they would instantly stop doing something my own children yeah yeah I'm talking my daughter's the same she's like mum you've got the scariest face and I'm like I've got a lot you know but yeah. he, here's the thing like we need to consider that as as childhood early childhood educators we need to consider the impact we're having on children yeah we have so much power to impact their lives. As a police officer, I had so much power to validate and and protect and help people, right? And I yeah. took that really seriously. That was a really serious responsibility for me and I yeah. took it seriously. Yeah. Your impact on those children's lives could be instrumental in creating an, and you only get them for a certain amount of time. Yeah. So it think about your motivations for why you've got them in your home, why you're doing what you're doing and realise that you have such an impact on that young person's lives. You are, you could create the next prime minister. You could yeah. create the next, you could create a teacher, someone like you. You could be doing anything and it all comes down to imagination and parents don't intentionally hand them their kids a device. It's been normalised. Yeah. We normal it became normalized in the last yeah. 10, 15 years. Yeah. So what we can do is we can reverse some of that damage. And and I'm not saying that there's not a place for devices. There yeah. is a place for devices. Yeah. But we we can we can reduce the impact. We can normalize play. We can normalize imagination. We can create amazing um environments. My daughter actually said to me the other day. So up until we moved to where I am because of my job, um, before I left the police, we lived on a farm, like a six-acre property with horses and ch chickens and dogs and, you know, sheep and you name it, right? Yeah. And she was a, she's an only child and, and she, um, she struggled with making friendships because she's got ADHD and, and um, we've only just had, she's only just been diagnosed with autism. And so she's always struggled like with con connection and, but except for with me. And, mm -hmm. um, but she said to me, mum, I want to have a farm when I have kids. And I said, why is that? And she goes, because it was the best childhood. I was outside mm -hmm. playing. I was never on my device. Mm -hmm. You didn't let me have those, those things. And I thought she was on the device a lot, believe it or not, but she doesn't remember it like that. She remembers playing outside, riding the motorbike, you know, having imaginary worlds in underneath the um, trampoline, you yep. know, you know, having forts in the lounge room. She remembers because I didn't have any rules about that stuff. I was like, go outside, play here. Do you want a sheet? Let, let's pin this here. And, um, yeah. you know, so she remembers that and she thinks like that was her imagination and that was her time with her and that's what you can create. Yeah, a hundred percent. So we we all, we had no devices for our kids. We had no TV. We, like we didn't even have a TV until it drove my mother insane enough that she would. She then went and bought us one. 
Like we didn't watch TV, Brian and I, for like seven or eight years or something. Just no need to. Like we, it wasn't a part of our lives. Uh, then we got the TV and we we still just didn't plug it in and we didn't watch it. And and then when we did watch it, um, it was family time. Like we would watch a movie together. Yeah, Friday watch- night. Yeah, yeah. We would make popcorn and do it together, you know, and otherwise children need to be outside. And I just think. We're possible, yeah. We're yeah. possible. And I think also we, we need to encourage children to explore their imagination, their artistic design, their, th- you know, there's lots of things that we can do. But in early childhood, what what's why couldn't we provide that safe space, that place for their imaginations to go wild? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I absolutely agree. And I, I just think there's no space for that when someone's paying you to be with their children too. I mean, and that might be an unpopular opinion, but I actually don't care. Um, that's why I created a service because I could see what was happening out in mainstream. And I was like, children deserve so much more. Educators deserve so much more. Educators deserve to love what they do. Um, and yeah. And probably so, educators that don't have devices in their service probably have better better behaved children because devices yeah. create um, behavioural problems. Yep, disconnect. Yeah, yep. so I would say that they would have more connected and better behaved children in their service. So it's like there's win-wins and then, you know, there's got to be a balance and if you're providing them a safe non-device zone, when yep. they go home and they've got devices, it's going to create that little bit of a balance for them, right? Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, we, we, if we saw a bug out in the garden or a caterpillar or something, we want to know what it was. We'd come and look it up. Yeah. I'd use totally. my phone up and we'd look it up, but then it would go away and that was it. There just wasn't space for it because, you know, and I'm not on a massive block either. I'm, I'm on a general suburban block, but we made the most of it. So it's possible. Everything's yeah. possible. Yeah. Listen, this was such a great way to like <laughs> wind this up. So it's not such a heavy conversation at the end. Christy, thank you so much for your time. I, I really, really appreciate it and value it. Um, your your book again, um, can you tell us what that is? Sure. So it's Operation Kids Safe, a detective's guide to child abuse prevention. For those who can't who don't have time to read it, I actually recorded it early last year on Audible. So it's on Audible and Spotify as well. So you can listen to it whilst you're <laughs> chilling <laughs> you poor people um and, or you can buy a copy on amazon so it's available on amazon amazing and how can we follow you on tiktok because i love your tiktok handle. Ah, <laughs> it's the tiktok cop 81 because i was born in 81 just so you know um but yeah tiktok cop 81 um and i'm christy mcv on instagram so sorry my name. my internet just stopped could you repeat your instagram handle christy mcv so just one word, Christy McVie, um, that's my name. Um, so, yeah, so you can find me there. Or my business or my company is the Child Abuse Prevention and Education Australia, CAPE, AU. Uh, so you can go to my website at uh, com, and um, I've got some blog posts on there, uh, some shares on there. So, yeah, and, and you know, I, I try to give people the information that they need to know without scaring them too much. Uh, So sometimes I don't do that so well, but, you know, I I think following accounts like mine and following accounts um, similar to mine are really important for people in this space. Well, that's how I found you um, way (laughs) back when on TikTok. You just come up with this 
little TikTok thing that you did. And I was like, holy dooly, I need to have this lady, you know, I need to talk about this. And I followed you. I forgot that that's how we met. (laughs) Yeah, and then I messaged you and I was like, ah. (laughs) And I'm so grateful for you. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's been lovely to get to know you and to watch you blossom and and I you mean know, because it's really um scary to put yourself out there like this and this message too is so important but it's also so triggering. So people mm. don't really want to talk about it, but you've you've done a lot, you've opened my eyes a lot and I know a lot of my uh, listeners too uh, have listened to your first podcast. So this one we talked again about some really triggering things but I think we can't look away we just can't look away and we have the responsibility as you said as early childhood educators to really make an impact and a positive beneficial impact and at some point we're going to be the person that has to make a report at some point it's just the way it's going so we need to arm ourselves and arm the children um, so that we know the best course to take so Christy you're an absolute star and an angel in my eyes thank you so much for your time today I really appreciate it thanks mate all right hi friend thank you so much for joining us today I hope you got a lot out of today's episode When we work on our own, we can sometimes be in a silo. So having new perspectives and different ways of looking at things is vitally important for the growth of our individual selves and our professional selves as well. We love feedback. So if you felt compelled to share what you thought of today's podcast, we would love to read your thoughts. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcast. That helps our podcast to get out to the wider community. And the more that hear what we have to share, we think the better it is. Thanks so much, friend. We'll see you next time. Till then, big love.